And while they went to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we ask you to be here with us this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here in our midst. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, both of our readings this morning elicit some nervous laughter and sideways glances, right? We seem a little short on good news this morning. Did we come to the right place? We just read Jesus' parable about five foolish bridesmaids and five wise ones and how the foolish ones get locked out of the wedding banquet. And he specifically says that this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And Jesus closes that story with a pretty chilling warning. Keep awake, he chastises, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Be ready, or you might get locked out of the kingdom too. Nervous laughter, (laughs) sideways glances. And before that, we read a passage from Joshua chapter 24 in which Moses' successor asks the people of Israel to make a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve, he asks. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And that's all well and good. But then Joshua ruins the pep rally by telling the people that even though they say they're going to serve God, they're not actually going to be able to do it. That in fact, they're going to serve in their disobedience as witnesses against themselves. In other words, in the future, when they're being judged by God for failing to serve him, they're not going to be able to claim that they didn't make this promise. Nervous laughter and sideways glances. How are we to understand these texts? Do they have any good news to offer us? Have we come to the wrong place this morning? Just what kind of faith are we baptizing these kids into anyway? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that while there is actually not a whole lot of good news in these particular texts, both of these passages do in fact point toward good news, and specifically toward the good news of new birth that we are celebrating in baptism this morning. This is their message. On our own, we are lost. We are foolish bridesmaids and disobedient children. But... When we are made new in Christ Jesus, having received his righteousness by faith, we are resurrected into eternal life. Now, those of you who have sat under my preaching for any length of time won't be surprised by this. You'll have heard it before. But it might surprise some of you newer people to know that the first image that pops into my head when I read Jesus' parable about these bridesmaids in Matthew 25 is the image of a test pilot crashing and burning. There's a passage in Tom Wolfe's amazing book, The Right Stuff, 
This is a book which tells the story of the American space program, a passage that describes these foolish bridesmaids to a T. So I'm going to read you a little quote here. But to help you understand it, I want to give you a little background. The space program, which of course eventually went into orbit and to the moon, started in the early 1950s as an Air Force test pilot program at Edwards Air Force Base in the deserts of California. These pilots would test brand new aircraft that had never been flown before, pushing them to their limits. And well, sometimes they found those limits. And for a frame of reference and for context for this quote I'm about to read you, in 1952 alone, 62 Air Force pilots were killed in 36 weeks of training. 62 pilots killed in 36 weeks of training. So here we go from Tom Wolfe's The Right Stuff. In those planes, which were like chimneys with little razor blade wings on them, you had to be afraid to panic. And that phrase was no joke. In the skids, the tumbles, the spins, there was truly only one thing you could let yourself think about. What do I do next? Sometimes at Edwards, they used to play the tapes of pilots going into that final dive, the one that killed them. And the man would be tumbling, going end over end in a 15-ton length of pipe with all the aerodynamics long gone and not one prayer left. And he knew it. And he would be screaming into the microphone, but not for mother or for God, but for one last hopeless crumb of information. I've tried A, I've tried B, I've tried C, I've tried D. Tell me what else I can try. And then that truly spooky click on the machine. And everybody around the table would look at one another and nod ever so slightly. And the unspoken message was, too bad. There was a man with the right stuff. This is the foolish bridesmaids. This is us. I've tried A. I've tried B. I've tried C. I've tried D. Tell me what else I can try. We are running around like crazy, wondering where we can find some oil for our lamps. The bridegroom is coming back, and I want to be acceptable. I want to be ready. We're trying to make everything okay on our own. And just like those early test pilots at Edwards Air Force Base, we're screaming into that microphone right up until we plow into the ground. Like those pilots, we are trying to save ourselves. We miss the bridegroom's arrival completely. We're not even there when the party starts because we're out trying to get more oil. We have our heads buried in the control panel as the plane crashes and burns. We, who would be self-saviors, realize too late that we've come up short, that our lamps are empty, that the door is locked, and there is nothing we can do. Joshua 
in a sense, is preaching this same sermon to that congregation there at Shechem. He's telling them that despite their best intentions, there's nothing they can do either. However hard they might try, they're going to fail to live up to the standard that God has set for them. And of course, if you continue reading in the Old Testament, Israel's history proves Joshua absolutely right. Despite their promises on this day, they continually chase after other gods and continually disobey Yahweh's calling on their lives and for their nation. The prophets will spend generations calling them to faithfulness, but those calls will fall on deaf ears again and again, and they are eventually judged. Just like, I, just like Joshua promises, taken away into captivity in Babylon and Assyria. We're just like them too. Paul gives us language for this kind of unfaithfulness despite our best intentions in the famous passage in Romans chapter 7 when he says, I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. On our own, faced with God's good and holy law, be ready, be obedient, be faithful, we are members of Joshua's congregation. We are foolish bridesmaids who are unprepared for the bridegroom's arrival. We are test pilots in a plane that is going down. We have not loved God with our whole hearts as we confess. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not turned the other cheek. We have been rebellious, idolaters of self, trying to take for our own the authority that is rightly God's. And God's word and his prophets have continuously called us back to faithfulness, but we have so often refused to hear. Held up to the standard of God's own holiness, God's own righteousness, we are found sorely wanting. And so, the plane has crashed. The door to the banquet is locked. We are in captivity. The question for us is, what can be done? Well, it seems to me that we have two options. The ones laid out in our readings, the way of the law, which will not work in the end, just like it doesn't work in our readings, or the way of the gospel, the way of new birth. The way of baptism. Option one, buckle down, get to work. We can redouble our efforts to be obedient. We can run out and try to buy oil in the middle of the night. Unfortunately, Joshua's announcement will end up being as true for us as it was for Israel. God is too good. His law is too holy. His expectation too glorious. Faced with it, illumined by its light, we must and always 
fail. There is nowhere to hide. We will be like Isaiah, who faced with the holiness of God, assumed that he would be destroyed. Woe is me, he cried. I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. The holiness of God's law cannot help but bring death to a sinful humanity. Here's Paul again in Romans 7. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So option one, the law, leads to the locked door, to captivity, to a smoking hole in the ground. The law leads to death. But there is another way, or better, there is another step. Because in God's economy, our death is a good thing. And it's just the beginning. When he is questioned by the Pharisee Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus reveals how it is that a sinner, someone whose lamp is empty, might become acceptable to a holy God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And when Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So remember the good intentions of Joshua's congregation at Shechem. They claim that they will serve God. Remember Paul's good intentions. He desires to do what is right. Remember even the good intentions of those foolish bridesmaids. They want to find more oil for their lamps. They want to be ready for the bridegroom when he appears. But good intentions are not enough. Their efforts and striving leave them outside in the cold. We need something more than good intentions, more than effort and striving. We need to be reborn. And the gospel of Jesus Christ announces that we can be. And that is exactly what we are celebrating here this morning. Baptism is not a ceremony announcing that we, like the wise bridesmaids, will be ready when the time comes. No, we are instead confessing that we are the foolish bridesmaids. We are announcing that on our own, we can never be or do enough. That on our own, we are dead. Baptism is not about best intentions or effort or striving. It's about going underwater and drowning. It's about being brought up out of the water into new life. Because the Christian paradigm is not 
a transition by work from vice to virtue, but a transition by faith from death to resurrection. The you that would need to keep your own lamp full or be obedient on your own to God's law, that person is being put under the water, put to death. Someone altogether new is lifted out. The you that has been made alive in Jesus Christ is raised up again. And today, we are celebrating new life in Christ. For the first time, for these five children, or for the rest of us, the blessed memory of what Jesus has already done and accomplished for us. And miraculously, there's more. Miracle of miracles, as part of this new gift of life, we are promised the very obedience that the law required in the first place. At the end of the service this morning, as we do every week, we are going to thank God for the good works that he has prepared for us to walk in. The required good work that would have kept us out of the kingdom of God as foolish bridesmaids or disobedient children is now given to us for free as part of this gift of new life. Not on our account or because of our effort, but on account of the finished work of Jesus Christ for us. Now alive, we are given the works of the law that before could only have killed us. And now we live into them by faith. Now, in Christ, our lamps are full. The same Paul who described himself as dead in light of the law rejoices in new life in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation, he writes, for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The other pilots thought it was a sign of the right stuff that the crashing pilot never cried out for God and kept diligently trying to save himself. But make no mistake, that's the wrong stuff. That kind of stuff only ever ends up with us as smoking craters in the ground. Self-salvation projects always end in death. Just like for the foolish bridesmaids, locked out in the cold. Just like the children of Israel banished to Babylon and Assyria. So instead, let us now go back under the water with these children. Put to death the striving, the self-sufficiency, the self-justification, 
That stuff needs to die. Instead, call out to Jesus. Be born again. Hold fast, not to what you might accomplish if you work really hard, but to what Jesus Christ has already accomplished for you. On your own, you are the unprepared bridesmaids, rushing out to try to make everything right as the bridegroom approaches. On your own, you are Joshua's congregation, making a vain promise to be obedient to God. On your own, you are a crashing test pilot, screaming into the microphone, begging for one more thing to try. You are addicted to saving yourself. Stop. Go under the water. Die to yourself. But then come back up, gulping the fresh air of new life in Christ, celebrating all of Jesus' goodness, all of Jesus' obedience, all of Jesus' righteousness given to you for free. Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters. Tired and broken? Peace unspoken. Rest beside these living waters. There's a river that flows with mercy and love, bringing joy to the city of our God. There, your hope is secure. Do not fear anymore. Praise the Lord of living waters. Amen.